0: I want to start off with a quote uh, by someone who is uh, one of my favorite authors. Uh, I got to hear this person speak a few times uh, before he died a young death, unfortunately, in a terrible car accident. I really believe God was using this man to help us understand how to reach young people And he says these words. His name is Mike Iaconelli. He says, What characterizes followers of Christ is that we tell the truth. You believe that? I'm not talking about doctrinal truth, he says. I'm talking about truth, truth. (laughs) Where we talk about our strengths and we talk about our weaknesses. Where we talk about our victories, we talk about our defeats, where we talk about our successes, and we talk about our failures, where we talk about our answers, and we talk about our doubts. Where we, walk, where we talk about our joys and depressions, where we talk about our courage and fear, and what's so disturbing about ministry today However, is how little truth telling there is. 13 year old Steve attended a church every week with his parents. And on this particular week, he stayed after the worship service to ask his pastor a question. And the question was Pastor, Let me ask you, if I raise my finger, will God know which one I'm going to raise even before he raises it? And the pastor said, yes, of course. God knows everything. A little Stephen, haunted by the plight of African children suffering from dire famine, pulls out a Life magazine cover And shows it to the pastor. The Life magazine cover depicted two children suffering from starvation. And he asks the logical follow-up question. Well, then does God know about them? And does he know what's going to happen to them? And the pastor said, Steve, I know you're too young. And I know you don't understand. One day you will. But yes, of course he understands. He's God. And then he walks away. This pastor offered no reason to believe in the gospel despite the plight of evil. To this young 13-year-old boy, this, this guy who was brilliant, who had this inquiring soul, Steve wanted to know he needed more. The pastor was just way too preoccupied with other things and didn't really count Steve to be somebody worthy to spend some time with. At the very least, I've had times when young people have come to me and, and I've, I've had to rush somewhere, and I get that, but at the very least, you could say, and this is what I love to say when young people ask me questions like that, I love to say, hey, listen, you know what? That is a, a million-dollar question, and I am not going to... to, 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 to Destroy it with a two-cent answer. So let's do this. Let's meet for breakfast tomorrow. Let's, meet, let's get together. Let's work this out. I want to answer that question. That's a fantastic question. He could have at least have done that. If you were Steve, would you have been satisfied with that answer? No, nah, Steve wasn't either. Unfortunately, Steve walked out of the church that day, never to return again. At 13, Steve was drawn to seek answers to the dilemmas that most troubled him, and he was dismissed. He was marginalized. After all, he was only 13 years old. I mean, what can you expect? But like many young people today, Steve was not just asking some doctrinal question. He wasn't looking for some apologetic answer Perhaps Steve was wondering why God allowed suffering in his own life. Perhaps this was just a way for him to come up to the next point. Like, like like, why am I bullied at school? And why do my parents have such financial problems? And why did my parents abandon me? So that I'm an orphan. I mean, these are the kinds of questions that Steve had. Maybe you've heard of Steve. His last name is Jobs. Founder and CEO of Apple if in case you have never heard of Steve Jobs and you've been sleeping under a rock I get it. But what if what if what if Steve had been engaged in a deeper conversation about faith? What if Steve had been engaged in a deeper conversation about Jesus and who he is and and what he means? Imagine if he had poured his brilliance not only on technological advancements, but he poured his brilliance to, to mobilizing the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the world. Can you imagine in that small little moment, can you imagine what could have shifted there and what God could have used? And sometimes we just... We just turn them away. And I've seen this, I'm going to tell you right now, I've seen this over and over again with young people. As I mentioned to you last week, I got to work in in, an academy for 20 years. I worked 15 years in one academy and then another six years actually in another academy. And, And I got to work with young people and I was always amazed at this one thing is, here is a church that is specifically designed to minister to young people And they're talking about their ownership. They're talking about how dirty the carpet is. They're talking about how kids cut in line for fellowship dinner instead of worrying about these kids' salvation. I had the privilege. I was so thankful for administration back in those days that had the the vision to say, you know, let's... Let's do something different, and I had the privilege, as many of you know, to teach leadership to some of these young people, and when we first started teaching this class, or when I was first asked to teach this class, we thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe we'll get 20 kids, we know who the cream of the crop is, we're going to send an invitation to just every one of them, and maybe we'll get them, and, and, and it'll be great, you know, and, and, and sure enough, we had 25 kids that first, actually, we had 28 kids that first year, And then we thought, okay, saturation is coming in because there's only so many. And the next year we had 28 kids again. And the year after that, we were teaching two Leadership One classes. By the time I was done, I was teaching Leadership One, Leadership Two, Leadership Three, and, and was coerced by some students to teach Leadership Four. It was announced before I even said yes. And they knew they were getting no credit for leadership four. They at least got a half a credit for leadership one, <laughs> and two, and three. But now, And I, we thought, why? What is it? And, 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 and here's what came back over and over again, and that is this. They realized that this was a class that taught Christianity from a perspective that was actually quite practical and meaningful to them and deep for them. We got into some deep discussions. I cannot tell you how many times we got into those discussions and I had students cry in my class as I said to them, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to walk you through a way to, for you to choose what your values are. And, and, and then you're going you're, you're gonna to come up with a mission statement for each one of those values, and I'm going to help you through this. I can't tell you how many times kids would come back to me and say, you know, I, this is too hard. I've never learned to do this before. That's because we keep telling young people what to regurgitate to us rather than teach them how to learn. I think some of the greatest evangelistic ideas have not even been thought of yet because we keep telling young people not only what, but how and when. And I think our young people are way more creative than we are. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm going to share with you the words of a, of a teenager. In 2003, she wrote me this letter. Somebody totally different from last, last weekend. I've got so many of these. And if you knew this girl, you'd say, man, I, that's just uh, break your heart. She was raised in a Christian family, good good people, went to Christian schools all her life. She's in my leadership class, and she's realizing some things in that class are causing her to face some realities in her life. And this is what she says Pastor Sergio, right now I'm going through a lot, you could say. I have family issues. I have friend issues. I have God issues. I have school issues. And I know that everyone does. It's just a little overwhelming right now for me. I just feel like crying sometimes because it's so much to handle. I'll start with the God issues because of week of prayer, and I'm kind of thinking about it more. See, I'm really not one to ask questions, because I was brought up in a Christian home, and this stuff has just all been assumed for me. Did you catch that? But the thing is, I, I, I was thinking today, how do we know this is real? There are so many religions out there, and they all think that they're right. How do we know that ours is the one that is real? Everyone always tells me their awesome experience they've had with God, and I haven't had any. I have nothing to show that God was definitely there. Nothing amazing. Nothing spectacular. I don't know if he's even real. I hear these stories in the Bible, but I just get lost in it. I don't understand them, and it seems so old-fashioned, and I've heard them all a hundred times that they don't interest me with them anymore. They seem like fictional things to me now. They don't interest me me at all. I know that's really bad to think, and I shouldn't, but that's all real. It Doesn't make any sense to me. I feel, don't miss this last part, I feel most of the church is complacent, irrelevant, and approaching extinction. The church's group A group of mostly older people doing mostly the same thing they've always done. Pastor Menenter, I know you would never, but sometimes I just want to scream out to older members, feel free to wipe me off as just another angry, self-addicted young person. Believe me, at this point I'm I'm beyond used to being ignored or taken for granted. You have no idea what it felt like to to have this letter in my hand and and, and to know this person, to know this girl. This is a a very shy girl. This is a girl that would would never say, I'm, I'm sitting there going, what have we done? What are we doing to these young people? And so I begged to have some time with her. The letter was much longer. I don't have the time to read the letter in full but I begged to have some time with her. She was thankful. We spoke and we prayed for about six months that year. I tried my best to answer whatever questions she would have. Mostly I try to listen and encourage her. At the end of the year, she thanked me. In her graduation garb, she came up and Gave me the biggest hug. And today, 14 years later, she's a beautiful Christian. Happily married, has two children. And in 2017, right after the Las Vegas shooting shooting, she wrote this post on Facebook. And it just brought such a smile to my mouth, to my face. And this is what she wrote. She wrote, it's getting worse, not better on this earth. Tragedy after tragedy, each one worse than one before it. The earth is not my home. Jesus is coming, (laughs) y'all. Like labor pains during birth, tragedies and natural disasters, wars and rumors of wars will be closer and closer together, more severe until we finally go home. You guys, Jesus seriously loves you. And I'd love to tell you about it if you have any interest in hearing about it. Here is our holy hope in this crazy, unpredictable, painful world we live in. I'm praying for Vegas, praying for this world. Can you believe that? Again, man, I wish I could like, introduce you to this person so you would know what a shy person this is. I'm sitting there going, what? Yeah. So when is the last time that you've had a deep conversation with a young person about Jesus Christ? Why are we so reluctant to go deep with young people? Why are we so afraid of them? I, I, I spoke to a couple of you after the me- meeting la- last week, and, and it, was, it was great to hear from you. It was great to hear your, your thoughts. And, but a couple of you said, you know, I, I, I'm scared of teenagers. I'm like, hey, man, Halloween's over. There's, there's no need to be scared of teenagers. I, I, I get it. They can be scary, but guess what? So can me. <laughs> if you think they're scary, you should see what we are to them. When Jesus wanted to turn fishermen into fishers of men, he challenged them to deep waters. Did you know that? This is what he says. He says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down the nets to catch some fish. And he's doing that after they had fished all night long and had caught anything. And Simon Peter says, you know, I'm the master fisherman here. We've been fishing on that, We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll go do this. They go out there and they had the biggest business day they've ever had. They catch so much fish, they're actually uh, actually asking other boats. Say, hey, come on, help us out, man. You can have some too. <laughs> our nets are going to break. And then Jesus says to them these amazing words. Today you caught fish, but from now on I'm going to make you fishers of men. And I think our young people want to go into deeper waters. Go out where it is deep, he said. I think it's the challenge to each and every one of us, don't you? I think, I think we struggle with depth. I think we, we are addicted to superficiality. I think some of the reasons why we struggle with talking to people, not just teenagers, but even with ourselves amongst ourselves about deep, deep things is because we don't want to get anybody deep in my life. I mean, I don't mind if I have to get deep in your life, but don't you get deep in my life. But here's the reality. We are all broken in this room. There's not one person in this room that is not broken. Can I just tell you that? All of us are. And perhaps the way we turn confused, hurting teens into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ is to invite them to go deeper. We invite them to live their lives above mediocrity. Invite them. Help them overcome the tendencies and comfort of superficial living. Engage them in some deep sea moments. Have you gone deep sea fishing ever? I tell you, man, it, get, it can get pretty intense out there. We went, we went to the Galapagos Islands. We we had this guy named Homer, man. He he, wouldn't, he would go. He loved it. He worked with young people. But one of the things that really made him happy is if he can go deep sea fishing just one day out of the whole trip. So I got to go with him, and, and we always took young people with us. And I remember this one occasion, man, we were out there, and we weren't catching anything. We always caught something. But we weren't catching anything, and then... Uh, and, and 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 so the uh, homer and i were taking turns taking turns with 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 uh with our fishing gear and and then make sure the young people had turns with their fishing gear and then the next thing i know i get this like intense pull on my on my uh fishing pole and i'm like whoa what is up with that you know and it's, and it's pulling it down and i'm like wow and i start wheeling it in and and he's He's, Homer is going, wow, come on, you can do this. And I realized Homer hadn't caught anything yet. And this is, what, this is what it's all about. He wants to be there. He wants to be part of it. Young people were sitting there going, come on, come on, let's go. We can bring him in, bring him in. Everybody was on this. Everybody's working together now. They're all cheering me on. And all of a sudden I realized, you know, I am not going to be able to do this. And so I said, Homer, I need you now. It didn't take Homer long at all to say, okay, I got it. Switched with me, got the thing, and, and he got to bring it in. And it was a huge Tuna. No, it was a huge tuna. It really was. It was we, we fed the whole crew with that and some. In fact, we fed the whole crew with that, and then the cooks got to take that home, and they fed their old crews with it, and it went on and on. I was a huge tuna. I'll never forget the faces on those young people and the faces of Homer as we all worked together. Deep-sea fishing. I think our young people are looking for some Red Sea experiences where we challenge them to walk in slowly and see God work as he opens up the sea. Deeper relationship, deeper experiences, deeper endeavors, deeper commitments. I want to tell you right now, I think our young people are sick and tired of church just being this. I think our young people want to say, look, we're either going to make a difference or we go home. How are we doing out there? Why are we so reluctant? The other thing I would say to you is, don't be afraid when people like this girl or like Steve Jobs and they're young, and they come to us with their doubts. Don't be afraid or be turned off by those doubts. Sometimes people express their doubts so loudly because they really want to believe. And you've heard me say this before, but I think Thomas gets a rap—a bad rap. Poor guy is known as Doubting Thomas. Do you know not once in the Bible he is called Doubting Thomas? We gave him that name. I, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I, I see Thomas in a whole different light. And we don't know too much about Thomas, but here's one thing I know, is that when, 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 when Jesus says to them in John 14, I go and prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back for you. If I go, I come back for you. Everybody just got quiet. And it was Thomas who said, well, wait a minute, where are you going? I don't know how to get there. I want to know. And then when Jesus was going to go back to, to resurrect Lazarus, and the disciples are all going, Look, man, you know, let's just, we better not go because you're going to get killed. You know, I don't think that's a good idea. You're not that, you know, popular. <laughs> you know, and it was Thomas when Jesus, finally, when he finally heard Jesus say, No, we're going, it was Thomas that said, Well, let's all go with him so we all die together. And we read that in the bad way, but I think that was just courage. That's what I think it is. And so here's the story where he gets this bad rap. I want you to catch this from a different perspective here. It says one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, by the way, Thomas doesn't mean doubting, it means twin. Chances are he was a twin. Was not with the others when Jesus came. Maybe he was out getting supplies. When everybody else was hiding, he was out doing stuff. They told him, We have seen the Lord. But catch what he says. Don't miss this. But he replied, I, I won't believe it unless I see the nails, wounds in his hands. Put my finger into them and place my hand into the wounds in his side. What is Thomas saying? Is, Hey, I'm really glad that you had this experience. That is fantastic. God bless you, that is great, but I want that experience. I don't want to inherit that experience. I don't want you to pass that experience down to me. Make it so that I can have that experience. And I think too many times we, we, we want our young people to be happy with our experience. They don't want our experience. They want their own experience. They want to have I, my Time with Jesus. And then Jesus comes up. Eight days later. <laughs> I love that. Jesus says, okay, you're going to get it, but just, just wait a little bit. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. And the doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, as only Jesus could do, walks through locked doors and suddenly stands among them hey peace (laughs) and then he said to Thomas he walks in I mean think about this for a moment you're all there the disciples you know peace be with you yes praise Jesus you're here (laughs) and then he turns Thomas can you imagine Thomas heart beating I mean I I think you you probably have heard it in there a little louder as jesus says these words put your finger in here and look at my hands put your hand into the wounds and in my side don't be faithless any longer believe And what does he say? My Lord and my God. Did you catch that? Suddenly he gets to experience Jesus for himself. And Jesus is saying, look, I get it. And then he says to them, look, you guys are lucky because you guys got to see me while I was here. Blessed are those who will never see me and still believe. That's us. Thomas later became the first missionary to India, established the first church there, and dies as a martyr death. He owned it. Now, I get to do a lot of stuff uh, with the corporate world and leadership. It's a wonderful opportunity that I get to be with other people. And uh, it forces me to read some other books And there was this book that I read some time ago by a guy by the name of Daniel Pink. That's his name. And he wrote a book called A Whole New Mind. And it's about how if we're going to impact this next generation, whether it's corporately or spiritually or any other way, educationally, it doesn't really matter. If we're going to impact them, we have to understand these six aptitudes because this generation has a whole new mind. I want to share with you really quickly what these are. Okay? So you can take out your phone to take pictures, write stuff down. I don't care what you do there. I want to make sure you get this because I'm going to go kind of fast here. The first one is not just function, but also design. In other words, what they're saying is, is, look, I don't mind it to be functional, but let's keep it beautiful. This is the world of branding today. We live in the world, there's a reason why we... (laughs) Doug and I spent months on that design out there for our logo. Months. Like, why? Because we know this generation doesn't want just function it wants to be beautiful and it has to be meaningful i remember i did last year i got a chance to do some some leadership training at a church in tennessee and the youth pastor drew this well this is how he was taking notes this was his notes to what i was teaching and i looked at it and i said can i get a copy of that sure you can take a picture of it he said the next day, the next morning, I'm doing it again, and he's do- And now he does it on a coffee cup. And I said, can I please have that coffee cup? And so I got this coffee cup at home with the same kind of drawing. Hey, this is how young people, they want to see it beautifully. They want it to be a design. And then the next one is not just argument, but also Story. Not just argument, but also story. In other words, don't just give it to me in some kind of apologetic way. Don't just give me a Bible study with proof text. Give me the story. Let me understand it in context. Let me relive that story. Let me be part of that story. Hey, let me hear a testimony once in a while. Last Sunday we had our men's breakfast and Len shared part of his testimony, and it just there was not a sound in that room. And one of the younger people that was there, Anthony, was there, and he was like this. He doesn't know it. It was like this. It was just so good to watch, because he sees this 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 truth being lived out in a person, not just logic but also empathy. We've spent too much time on empathy last week. I'm not going to spend too much time on it this week. But we know this whole concept that that young people need us to be able to walk in their shoes so that we could be relevant to them. And then the, the next one, I love this one, not just seriousness, but also play. See, if truth is truth, it's going to set us free, isn't it? And if it's going to set us free... You know, look, there's a time for serious contemplation and there's a time for playfulness. I think too many times we get too serious. I think young people want to know that we are real. That we don't just play at home, we play everywhere. That we're not just serious at home, we're serious everywhere. And then I like this next one. Not just accumulation, but also meaning a lot less stuff and more ikigai. I love that word, ikigai. It's a Japanese word. I probably am saying it wrong, but it's okay, because I like saying it, ikigai. <laughs> and ikigai basically, we don't have a word like that in English. Ikigai basically means what gets you up in the morning. And, and if you want to see this, this a little bit up close, let me know. I'll send you this picture right here, but it's, it's about, it's, it's a combination of what we love and what we're good at and what we can get paid for and what the world needs, and it gives us mission, vocation, profession, and passion. It gives us our guy. It gives us meaningfulness. It gives us a chance to do something that we really feel like we are a part of. Young people want to be a part of what we do. That's why the next one is so important, not just Focus, but also symphony. Hey, hey, don't forget, I'm part of the church too. Don't just placate me with a children's story or a couple of songs at the end. Let me be part of the decision making. Let me be, be, don't just just, just put me in some tent during camp meeting. Let me be part of of what's really going on, the big picture. Let me be part of the, let me help be creative and help this church become more creative and do what it was meant to do. Or I'm just going to go home. Now, you don't have to agree with that, but that's the reality. You're going to say, well, we didn't get to do that. It doesn't matter what we got to do. What matters is what we can get to help them do. That's what growing young is all about. Young people are tired of just looking at what we have from a distance. Do you know that? They seem, some of us, they see some of us have faith and they want to own that faith. And we need their questions. They see some of us have purpose and they want their own purpose. And we need their passion. They see some of us have a personal experience with God. And they long for that personal experience. And we need their desire. They see some of us have assurance of salvation. They yearn for that assurance. And we need their moxie. They hear our dreams and we need to partner with them with their vision to fulfill those dreams. Young people are tired of just looking at what we have from a distance. Let me illustrate it this way. Some of you have been in my office. You come in my office and you see all these sailboats. and You see all this kind of nautical paraphernalia. And most of that stuff was given to me, or I found it in some uh, antique store. And I happen to have uh, two, uh, like, spy scopes. And one's bigger than the other. And there's one young person that keeps coming to my office to say hi and get some candy. And he's been spying my spyglass. And some weeks ago, he had the moxie to come up to me and say, hey, uh, do you think you would ever want to give that spy scope to me? (laughs) See, I'm glad you have it, and I'm tired of looking at it from a distance, But I want to own it. So Carson, come on up here. Come up here, Carson. No, no, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, come up here. Come up here. I am so proud of you, man, for who you are and what you do. i want to give you this. This is the scope. Can we show everybody? Can you hold the box? Oh, no, you actually do that. You're smart. Yeah, you do this part. Go ahead. Isn't that cool? And it goes even farther. Okay, you can, yeah, it really works. Doesn't go farther? No? Okay. Oh, well. Oh, yeah. Oh, I see your dad. Whoa, he's really close. Okay. <laughs> so that's yours, man. Now, when you look through it, just remember that God is awesome, and God is big, and He loves you, man. All right? We started with a quote from Mike Iaconelli. I want to end with a quote from Mike Iaconelli. And this is a powerful, powerful quote. And this is what he says: The tragedy of modern faith is that we no longer are capable of being terrified. It was scary for Carson to come up here. We aren't afraid of God. We aren't afraid of Jesus. We aren't afraid of the Holy Spirit. And as a result, we have ended up with a need-centered gospel that attracts thousands but transforms no one. What happened to the bone-chilling, earth-shattering, gut-wrenching, knee-knocking, heart-stopping, life-changing fear that left us speechless, paralyzed, and helpless? What happened to those moments when you and I would open up our Bibles and our hands started shaking because we were afraid of the truth that might be there? What happened to those moments, Mikey Akineli asks us. I remember those moments. I remember realizing that as I opened up this book it meant that things were going to change in my life, and I was glad for it. Young people today want a real, serious, deep religion. And if I can echo the words that we're going to sing here in a few moments. I want to know you. I want to hear your voice. I want to feel you more than before. I want to touch you. I want to see your face. I want you, Jesus, more than before. More of you, Jesus. I want more. More of you, my Lord. And then it says... Take me deeper than I've been before. Take me further, God. I long for more. Take me higher than I've been before. Jesus, I want more. Jesus, I need more. Now here's the cool thing about it all. Is that as we take young people deeper, they will take us farther. Farther than we could ever imagine we can go. I'm serious. Come next week. Don't miss it. As Ben Lundquist takes us to the end of this series, it's going to be powerful. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you so much. Thank you for this church, Lord. This is one of the most loving, most accepting, embracing church that I've ever had the privilege to be a pastor of, Lord. And Nancy and I, thank you so much for giving us this privilege and how much uh, they have loved us and as Pastor Fred said a little while ago, Lord, how much they have given to us and been part of our lives. And I pray, Father, that you, uh, you bless them. Thank you for our young people, Lord. They're just, we, we're just so blessed, Lord. I pray that we may never, ever fall into the trap of marginalizing them, never fall into the trap of making them feel not wanted or turned them away with some just two-cent answer. Help us, Lord, to treat them as equals, as part of our church, and may together we keep growing younger and younger until you come, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.